Welcome to Trinity on Tap Theology, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Victoria Lorimar. Episode 2 On Belief. I believe. The Creed repeats this refrain I believe. I believe. So let's start our reflections off with the matter of faith. What does it mean to believe in something? You might be familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. The writer begins by describing faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There is a sense of security in the content of our faith, a faith which gives us hope. But over the centuries since this letter to the Hebrews was written, our understanding of what faith means has changed a bit, at least in a religious context. Today, we tend to focus much more on faith as an assent to a set of intellectual propositions. We have faith that certain ideas are true. We perhaps don't use faith as much in terms of trust or loyalty, but these are also bound up in the meaning of I believe in the creed. Faith means trust and commitment as well as an opinion about what is true. We could also translate the Latin of the creed to say, I put my trust in God. We aren't just saying that God exists. We are expressing a confidence and loyalty that the God of Scripture is trustworthy. So tied up with the idea of faith as trust and commitment as well as intellectual assent is obedience. This takes us very much into the realm of the heart. Faith is something that requires the whole self not just what we think. How does believing something differ from knowing? How reasonable is our faith? In a world that likes to look for evidence or for proof, we might find ourselves having to defend the truth of what we believe. And as the rest of this series is going to involve setting out a number of theological commitments that we hold to in faith based on a thoughtful engagement with the revelation of Scripture— I'm going to spend a bit of time now talking about the role of reason in faith. How reasonable is Christianity, in particular to those who don't already accept the truth of the scriptures? Well, one way of tackling this question is to think about whether we can know God from sources outside the Bible, for example, through nature. The Enlightenment thinker Immanuel Kant, who sought to understand the relationship between reason and faith, had these words inscribed on his tombstone. Two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe, the more often and steadily we reflect upon them. The starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. And essentially they summarise the starting point of what we traditionally call natural theology the ability to learn something of God's attributes from the natural world. You might be familiar with a number of scriptural passages that are often used to support this kind of approach to discerning God. In the Psalms, for example, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, 
so that people are without excuse. Actually, the fact that we often cite these verses in support of natural theology is a little ironic, really, because classical understandings of natural theology require that we set aside any kind of sacred text or scripture, these things that we call special revelation, entirely. Natural theology requires that we look only to sources shared by all humanity, science, reason, history, the senses. And you can see immediately the apologetic value of this kind of approach. Surely if we can appeal to people's reason and common experience of the world to prove God's existence, then this lays a great foundation for sharing the gospel. So thinking about how we might witness to Christianity's truth in a pluralistic world, let's consider what we can know of God without the knowledge of Scripture, instead relying only on reason or observations of nature. The medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas is famous for what are known as the five ways, commonly understood as proofs for the existence of God that are arrived at using reason. Noting that all effects have a cause and that all moving things have been set in motion by something else, for example, Aquinas argued for an uncaused cause and an unmoved mover, both things that he equates with the person of God. And these are just two of the five arguments to give you an idea of the reasoning. But it's important to understand the context in which Aquinas makes these arguments. He wasn't countering an atheist worldview. That was very much a foreign way of thinking in his time. Really, Aquinas' exposition of natural evidence for God takes its place alongside a fuller account that sets out the preambles of the Christian faith, drawing on other forms of revelation as well. Aquinas himself acknowledges that the role of reason in theology is not to prove the truths of faith, but rather to defend, to explain, and develop the doctrines revealed by God and accepted on divine authority. And he also readily admits to the failings of natural reason, stating that without revelation, even the truths which can be determined through reason would be known by few after a lot of thinking and with many errors. The Reformation theologian Martin Luther also conceded that reason can lead us to acknowledge the existence of God and even perhaps give some information about several of the attributes of God, but argued that the knowledge is defective in that it does not make known the disposition of God towards humans. We might know that God exists, but what does God think about us? We can only learn this through the revelation of God in the cross. It is at the cross that we learn that God is for us. This is consistent with scripture, which describes the message of the cross as foolishness from the perspective of the world. From this passage, it seems that we can't know God through human reason or by nature alone. Natural theology by itself doesn't attempt to explain things that we can only know through the scriptures, like the Incarnation or the nature of God as triune, a trinity. The God revealed in scripture is a surprising God, a God that is far more than we can construct using reason and philosophical proofs from the clues in nature alone. We might instead understand the purpose of setting out various proofs of God's existence from nature 
to be guiding us into the mystery of God disclosed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because seen through the lens of a Christian faith, there are signs everywhere in nature that point to the transcendent, to God. But these are not obvious to those who don't examine nature through this framework. We need to resist categorising unbelievers as people who just don't look hard enough or who willfully ignore clear truths. People may experience a sense of wonder when contemplating the natural world. They might feel instinctively that there is some kind of greater meaning. But this is a long way from any kind of theistic faith. Natural theology, as it is traditionally conceived, is therefore somewhat limited. It has its place in a broader apologetic or a richer evangelism, so long as we remember that people rarely make faith commitments solely on the basis of cool reasoning. Christianity is attractive because it presents a radical view of a God who goes to great lengths for a beloved creation, a vision of a future that turns present injustices and inequalities of power on their head. It is attractive when Christ's followers witness through the willingness of their communities to welcome and to serve the other. Nature's testimony in the form of awe, the recognition of beauty and experience of transcendence it offers, and theologians have spoken of a universal longing for transcendence or the infinite. Well, this testimony may amplify these greater witnesses, but it's insufficient apart from knowledge of the scriptures and their interpreters through the ages. People are capable of seeking transcendence without believing in God. But we may understand any natural awareness of God or or transcendence as a point of contact on which additional revelation builds. Observations of the natural world may well be a starting point for apologetics or for evangelism, but to have real substance, they will move on to what we can only know through other types of revelation. Through eyes sharpened by knowledge of the incarnation, we see nature in a new way, without glossing over fallenness and some of the uglier aspects of the natural world. The goodness and beauty of nature testifies to the goodness and beauty of its creator. Nature is not just a resource for human consumption, but is suffused with God's grace. It is a means through which we encounter the divine. And what all this means for us as Christians is that we need not feel threatened by scientific endeavours. We recognise God to be author of both the book of scripture and the book of nature, to use a popular metaphor from the past. And these revelations are in harmony with one another. Science cannot reveal any knowledge of the natural world that runs against the truth of the gospel, although scientific information may at times challenge us to reinterpret and rethink traditional doctrines. The intricate creativity of the evolutionary process, the sheer magnitude of the universe revealed by astronomy, these things only add to our appreciation of its creator and God's dealings with us. So to recap, The information we can infer from nature and reason alone falls a long way short of the Christian understanding of God and generally leads to a wholly inadequate, even distorting picture of the divine. It is in the witness of scripture and of the church that we encounter the living Christ and can know something of the redemption we hope for. But nature is consistent with this scriptural witness and points beyond itself to this greater hope. 
If we accept a Christian understanding of ultimate reality, then science is a valuable and worthwhile pursuit for exploring God's grace and majesty in creation and represents no threat to the gospel's truth. Alistair has a really helpful take on natural theology. The word natural theology means quite a lot to me because I used to be a scientist. And for me, I always had this deep sense that nature was pointing beyond itself. Even when I was an atheist, I I felt there's something very significant here. And natural theology is, in effect, from a Christian perspective, really saying, look, this is the way it's meant to be. If nature is God's creation, we should expect it to say something about the one who created it. And therefore, natural theology helps us to grasp that this world is not complete in itself. It's pointing beyond itself. And to me, that's very important in conversations with people who are thinking about faith to say nature is saying, hey, there's more to discover and we don't deliver. Nature doesn't deliver the full thing. There's something yet to discover. But natural theology is only part of a two-way traffic. If you like, um, natural theology is standing in nature and saying, I wonder where it takes us, pointing beyond itself. A theology of nature is, in effect, standing within the Christian faith and saying, let's look at the natural world through a lens of faith. And so we see it not as nature, but as creation. We see it not as a random gathering of of stuff, but rather this is God's wise, wonderful, ordered creation. And it makes a huge difference to the way you see it. So basically, there's two-way traffic here, and they're both really helpful. The true value of natural theology, therefore, is in illustrating the consistency of God's gracious dealings with creation, revealed for us properly in Scripture and writ large in the natural world itself for those who view it through this scriptural lens. Thus, we're able to marvel with the psalmist. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is humankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them? As we wrap up, take some time to think about how you understand faith. Why do you believe what you believe? This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.